I can't presume to know your experience on this Father's Day, what you may be going through, what you may be dealing with for those that are dads, for those that have had dads, and I don't know what your experience was like in the home. And, and like I said, I, I can't read your mind. I can't know that. I, my prayer is that you had an incredible experience and a father that shared the picture of, of a heavenly father, at least tried that example. That is my goal in, in my life. But I also know that there are some in this room, I, it would be safe to say, and that you may not have had that experience. Uh, your father may not have known Christ. Your father may not have been there. He may have been present in the home, but absent in spirit and mind. Or he may have been completely absent, totally. And um, it's my prayer that today would be an opportunity to see a hope of a heavenly father, the love that he has for you, and know the immense grace that's available to all, those that he calls his children and those he wishes to adopt as his children. In other words, the message today is not an us versus them uh, message. It's not a message complaining about the lost and, and, and a message praising the found, but it's a message offering hope that God has as a remedy for the pain and the brokenness that we, we face. I know in my home, one of the things I hate seeing is, is pain and brokenness, especially whenever I feel like I'm at fault when I haven't come across as, as the right provider or things fall through and, and I can't fulfill the, the hopeful promise that I've made, I hate that. It, it, it bothers me deeply. It gets to the core. And, and, I, and I think this is something that God's put in the, in the fiber of my being to, to say, you know, whenever you don't fulfill your promises, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back and bite you a little bit. It's going to hurt. It's going to sting. But one of the things that I, I see, because I have, I have three young girls in my home. I have four kids. Uh, but three of them are, are full of estrogen. And, um, and, and then I'm, I'm married to a beautiful, amazing woman. But what I've learned about girls in the home, like dads, we're the fix-it guys. That's what we hope to be. We want to fix the problems, bring the remedy, and be done, right? You know, here's the, here, Someone starts giving a discussion, and we've worked out a five-point plan of how to actually make this program work. That's just who we are. But... Generally, whenever you're talking to someone of the opposite gender, um, they don't want you just to fix it. They want you to listen. Hey, you're listening. That's a good job. Now you can do it to your wives. All right, so I have to learn that principle. But I want to provide the remedy. I want to fix the situation. And what we see in the Scriptures is God is perfect at both. Perfect to listening to our needs listening and viewing our brokenness, our pain, our problem, and at the same time, perfectly making available the ability to fix it. He is the perfect picture of the Father. And we talked a lot about this remedy and this need last week and, and the fact that we are really desperate without God. In fact, the, the Bible makes a case, not only 2,000 years ago, but today in our culture, in our time, and not just in America, but all over the world, and not just all over the world, but also in America. Make sure I get this post there. That there is a brokenness that needs healing. There is a problem that needs fixing. There is a sickness that needs a remedy. And so today I'm going to invite you to join with me again as we go back to the same text written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, the, the, the book of Romans, chapter 1. And so if you'll stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. It'll be up on the screen. But you are certainly welcome, and I encourage you to follow along in your copy of God's Word, whatever the version may be. But this is what it says. 
Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To who? Everyone. You're still listening. That's good. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what He has made, has been made, so that we are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Lord Jesus, may you use your word as only you can. Help me just to be your servant that's hidden behind the shadow of your cross to faithfully teach your word, not only to this church, but for your Holy Spirit to teach me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this was written to the church at Rome around 57 A.D. So that's almost 2,000 years ago. But it's pretty easy to say if we looked at what's going on here and what Paul is writing about to the church of Rome, we could almost carry it equally to see this is, this is pretty much the world we live in. It's not so different. And so if we have a preconceived notion that the Bible is old-fashioned and somehow not very applicable to our life today, or that just the Bible is good for intellectual discussion or for good, good feelings, um, we're gonna, or entertainment, we're going to see that the Bible provides so much more to our life today. But when we look at the Bible, we've got to ask four questions. And those that have been here uh, long enough and heard me preach many times, you, you know I'm going to ask and talk about these things because you need to understand the context of the Bible before you just start shooting it off into our world today. Uh, here's what I mean. The Bible was written in a specific time, to a specific place, among a specific people, in a specific language, for a specific situation. And had a specific outcome. And so if that's the very specifics of the word, then specifically saying something then, I need to understand that. So I have to ask, what does the Bible honestly say? Not trying to give my own rendition of it, but what does it say in its words? Then I need to start looking around, around that verse, not just trying to cherry pick a verse to suit my needs, but to see the full context of the impact of that word. What's going on as a result of God's word being revealed? And then, once I do that, to see the specificness of that time and the impact from that specific word from God, then I can begin pulling and reaping out the applications for my life today. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. Like I said, the Bible is not just for enlightenment or entertainment or goody-goody feelings. It's for us to have a response to God. That's what worship is. It's when we respond to Him. It's not just the activity. It's our response. 
And so as we look at here, my purpose is, is not to beat down anybody. My purpose is to share with you the honesty and the truth of, of our situation and our need, but also the great remedy of God. And so as we move on, we're going to see a few things uh, when we talk about this signs of brokenness, this case that Paul is writing by the grace of God. And he's saying, when we look at our world, when we look at what it means to be in the midst of lostness, blindness, death, we see that the world without the remedy of grace, the world without Jesus, is one that is wrath-receiving, it's one that is truth-suppressing, it's one that is evidence-rejecting, it's one that is excuse-giving, one that is foolish-living, and false-worshipping. That is a world that shows the case for our need. It gives us the diagnosis say, you're sick. We are sick, and we need the graceful remedy of God. Last week, we talked about how God's grace is, um, is incredibly amazing. And uh, we talked about how His remedy brings about a change. It doesn't just say, all right, here's something that you can take, but it's not going to take effect till much, much later, like when you go to heaven. But it's something that begins working His power in us daily, today and forever. And if a world that is lost, a world that is broken, a world that is blind and dead, according to the Scriptures, is one that the Bible says is wrath-receiving, we talked about last week that those that have received the remedy of grace, those that have taken the grace that meets their need, they become the wrath removed. That God takes the wrath that we were due to receive and that we were already receiving in our life that was biting on us, as the Scripture says, and He places it fully on His Son. Now, He doesn't do it today. He already fulfilled that 2,000 years ago on the cross, that all of that wrath that was meant to be on us today, He placed on His Son in that one moment. So the book of Hebrews makes us know that we're not nailing Jesus to the cross over and over and over again with our sins. No, all that wrath was once and for all dealt with. And when Jesus said it is finished, He put an exclamation mark on that because it was, that it was finished. But we become transferred over to this grace and become a picture of those that were once receiving wrath and now have the wrath removed. And in light of that, we're supposed to live like those that have God's wrath removed. A life of gratitude, a life of grace. But that's not all. There's much more that this remedy provides. And so we're going to continue on because I'm just giving you a summary of, of last week. But as we look at the case of our brokenness, the pain and the problem in our life, the need that we have for remedy. We can see that those that are lost, blind, dead, according to the Scriptures, are truth-suppressing. But the remedy brings about the truth-unleashing. And here's what I mean by that. The Scripture says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's an interesting phrase. Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, you know what it means to suppress someone, right? It means to restrict them, to hold them down, to not let them go anywhere, to not let them have their way, to chain them into place. The Bible makes the case that this suppression of truth becomes, comes from the result of unrighteous intent and an unrighteous action. 
says that it's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. That means not just the actions, but the intent of our heart. And so these people that suppress the truth in unrighteousness, and that's, that's who we are without Jesus. That's not just the us versus them. It's just who we are without Jesus. We hold down the truth of God's Word because of unrighteous intent and unrighteous actions. We need to know it's not just the, the bad deeds that we've done that get us in trouble with God. It's, it's the fact that our very heart is corrupted and needs something greater. Sometimes people say, well, you're speaking of truth. There is no absolute truth. They, they, they say, how can you know what is true? Because there's no absolute truth. In fact, they would probably go on to say, if they had a relativism worldview, um, that what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. But that doesn't make sense because it, something's either true or it's not. It's either true or false. You don't get your multiple choice test in your teacher that passes out your exams, and when it says true or false, and the answer is false, and you answer true, and then you said it's true for me, you're not going to get bonus points there. It's either true or false. Am I right, teachers? Right. And yet we live with this kind of mentality, although it wouldn't fly in any educational or academic sense. But to say there is no such thing as absolute truth is actually an absolute statement. You've actually said that there's an absolute truth by saying there's no absolute truth. Anyways. But here's the thing. If there is absolute truth, then that means there's an absolute authority that upholds that truth. There's something that holds that as firm, as unbreakable, as undeniable. And we need to understand when it comes to truth, whether or not you believe in something or submit to it, it doesn't mean that's not, it's not true. Whether or not you believe in something or submit to it doesn't make it not true. God's Word is true. And those that suppress absolute truth, usually what happens is we do it as a means of establishing our own rules. Because if we realize that there's absolute truth, we realize there's absolute authority. And if we can get rid of absolute truth, we can get rid of absolute authority. But we know we're always going to submit to something, so we'll begin making our own rules. This is how I live my life. What's true for you is true for you, is true for me, is true for me. We'll begin making our own order. And we'll do it as a means to our happiness. And we'll box it in that whole Happy Meal box. That's just all for me to achieve happiness. For the prize of happiness. But happiness is not really a prize if it's a false prize. Imagine if you opened up your box of cereal and... and you're just like looking for the best prize ever. You're so excited. You guys watch the Christmas story? You know? And, you know, he, he, he gets all this stuff and he mails in the thing for the ring. And, and then he gets the decoder ring and he goes to the bathroom. He's listening to the radio. And, and, and then he's like writing down everything. And, and all of a sudden he says the, the code to the little orphan Annie is drink more Ovaltine. You know, he's, he's drunk all this Ovaltine to get the prize. Now the, it's a crummy commercial. It's a false prize. This pursuit of his happiness ended up being just weak. But here's the thing. When we pursue truth, when we have a truth unleashed in our life, we receive a prize that cannot be extinguished, cannot be taken away. 
Because biblical truth, absolute truth, is meant to provide the remedy for our brokenness. Think about this. Biblical truth, it speaks that it helps us move from life, get, receive life from death. That's a great prize. To receive life instead of death, man, that's an incredible prize. To receive comfort in the midst of suffering. Another great prize. I, I wouldn't trade that one off. To receive freedom instead of slavery. Yet again, another awesome prize. And these are promises from the Word of God. A purpose from our trials. A light from our darkness. Strength from our weakness. Wisdom from our foolishness. Rest from our weariness. Service from our selfishness. All of these are prizes that come when the truth is unleashed in our life. In other words, if we suppress the truth, we're suppressing the effects of the truth. When you suppress the truth, you suppress the effects of it. You say, I not only want to suppress and hold back the truth, but I don't want any benefit that it would have for me to have this truth applied in my life. But here's the thing that's so awesome. When we think about the truth of God's Word, it's not about being in bondage. It's about being liberated. Sometimes we think that God is the thou shalt not, no, no God that's ready to zap us with lightning. And we look at God as, as if, okay, Instead of looking at the huge bigness of God, we want to get to the very edge and say, well, if I trusted the entire immense bigness of God, that would be one thing. But what I really want to focus on is how close am I to the edge? As if we're looking at prison bars. When God says, look behind you, there's an open door, an open world that is full of my truth for you to live out, and you're so focused on the edge that you're missing out on it, that behind you is freedom and where you're standing is bondage. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. The Bible says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where God resides, there's liberty, not, not bondage. Peter, when writing to the churches that were suffering, being persecuted, actually being tortured. Um, I was at the convention this week, and, and someone said, you know, there's a difference in persecution and insult. And we need to realize that as a church and, and get over ourselves at times. Someone saying happy holidays to us instead of Merry Christmas at, at Walmart, that's an insult, and it may be offensive. Someone trying to nail you to a cross and, and, and burn your house down, that's persecution. And there's a world that faces persecution, and we face a world of insult. But as Peter would write to a church facing persecution, he would say, act as free men and do not use your freedom as some covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. I love that word bond slaves. You just may think, well, you're saying following God is about freedom. Why does he use a word like bond slave? A bond slave was a, was a Hebrew term, uh, uh, something that God provided in his provision. Um, you may think that it's weird the Bible talks about slavery. Slavery happened. It did. There's no way to escape it. There's no way to just pass over it, but it happened. But there were principles for slaves that were trying to work their ways out of debt. By the way, if you've ever taken out a loan, whether you like it or not, you're a slave to a loan lender. Just put it out there. Um, we're all slaves to something if we have debt, for sure. And that's me, too. But for those that had paid off their debt, 
for those that had had a master that treated them well and that loved them, and they wanted to continue their service to that master, what they would do is they would submit themselves as a bond slave. And they would actually have their ears pierced, um, and it would be a sign that I'm a bond slave to this master because they treated me so well. In fact, I live freely among their home. That was the idea. Now, I'm not really just a, a slave trying to pay off debt. I've, my debt has been paid, and now I freely submit myself to this person. And so there's this idea of acting as free men and not using it as a scapegoat to say, well, God's forgiven me and God's going to get, let me go to heaven so I can do whatever I please now. In fact, Paul would write, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use, turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In other words, here's the thing. When we unleash the truth in our life, God actually unleashes us. When we suppress the truth in our life, we suppress the benefits of truth in our life. And this is the, what the world needs to hear about the truth of God. Truth is never to be held down, but it's to be held up as something that we celebrate, that we discover and learn and we follow. Whenever you look at the truth that's revealed in God's Word, is it something that you desire to celebrate? And I have to honestly ask myself that question every day. I love getting up. I love get, get spending time in the Word. But there's some of those days I get up and I pick it up. I'm tired and maybe it's been a rough week. You know, the kids are doing whatever. And when I pick it up, I'm, I'm going, Woo, yeah, I'm getting to read the Bible. But shouldn't that be where my heart is? God, help me celebrate every time I open these pages that I actually have these pages to open. I think about places in the world, they don't even have a Bible to open, either because their country keeps them out, because it would be a death penalty to own one, or it yet is, it has not even been translated in their language. And do I celebrate the fact that I have this prize? Yeah, you can pick it up at any Walmart in America. Do I celebrate it? Do I have a hunger to discover and learn from it? to see the context of God's Word and then pull this out and, and let it, my life respond to it? Do I follow it? Not just learning what it says, but doing what it tells me to do. Because that is the desperate need that we have. That is the desperate need for the world. And it is the desperate need for His church. And by God's grace, He provides the remedy of His truth. And so right now, what we're going to do, I'm not going to continue on with the rest of this message. I, I would like to invite you to keep coming every week as we continue on these, this passage for the next couple of weeks. But for the sake of time, and the, but this also for the sake of response, we're going to do our invitation a little different. Kind of like we did last week. I'm going to invite you to, to, if you can, to get on your knees right where you are. You can certainly come up here and make these steps a place of prayer. And our invitation is this, not praying and waiting for someone else to respond, but God, first, help me examine my life and see if there is a suppression of truth or am I inviting you to unleash truth in my life. Think about it this way. If you had a guard dog, you know, Mississippi, we have guard dogs, yard dogs, we put them on chains in the front yard. You do it to keep the enemy out. Anybody that would be a trespasser. But some of those dogs we would never let in our home because the moment we do, everything would be different in our home, right? 
some of us may be struggling with that with truth in our life. That we want just enough truth to get any enemy out in our life, to keep the bad at bay, but we're not willing to unleash it in our home. We're not willing to unleash it in our life because we know that would make the difference. And so first we're going to pray for us as a church and say, God, help us to be a church that's not a people, not disciples individually, that want to suppress the truth in our life, but have it fully unleashed in our home, in our workplace, in the very fiber of our being. And then secondly, we're going to pray for a lost world that needs this remedy. It needs to hear this truth proclaimed in the deeds, the actions, and the intent of our heart. And so I'm going to invite you to, to join me in prayer as we do this. And after, we'll get, after that, we'll give a chance for people, if you need to talk, you need to pray, you need to counsel with someone about the next step you're going to take to follow Jesus, we're going to make that available. But this time of invitation, we're going to focus just on prayer. Because you know what? We can talk and dialogue a lot, just me and you. But unless we go to God about it, we're not really asking Him to do anything big to it. And so we're going to ask God to do something big, both in our lives and the world around us. So would you join me in this time of prayer? Lord God, I am I'm just incredibly humbled by who you are. It sometimes is too much to think that you love us so much that you would make yourself known to us. Because God, you could see us in our brokenness and our pain. You could see us where we are and you could choose to ignore us. You just could because you're God. We would have no grounds to stand before you and to say that we don't deserve that. God, in your love, in the grace and knowledge of who you are, you provide us with truth. In fact, your prayer for us, whenever you were in the garden, before you were willing to take the cross for our sin, was for us to be sanctified by truth. And you stated, your word is So God, today, for those in this room, for my life, for the life of my brother, my sister, for those that are seeking where to go, how to follow, I pray that you would help us. If we have any struggle for suppressing the truth, whether it's due to a lack of passion and a lack of knowledge of your word, or it's a lack of celebration and and honestly wanting to do the things that please you, or it's a lack of application just not doing what the Bible tells us to do. God, I pray that You would break that stronghold. You would break that chain and unleash truth fully in our lives so that we would actually know the effects of truth. The freedom that comes from knowing Your Word. I pray that this church, not only the disciples as individuals in this room, but collectively we would be known as a church that holds up truth no matter what, that celebrates truth, no matter what, that is doing everything we can to not only discover it, but to teach it and to follow with our lives. Because the world needs to hear your truth. God, help us be carriers of that remedy. Help it be at least in our home. Help truth be made manifest and known in our workplace to wherever we go.
not let us hold nothing back from letting truth have its way in our life. Because when we know the truth, we know you. When we follow the truth, we follow you. When we celebrate the truth, we celebrate you. Thank you for giving us your word. And now, God, as we turn our eyes and prepare to walk out of this building, we've entered to worship and respond to you, and we've been walking out these doors into the harvest fields, the place of mission, the place of purpose for our lives. God, I pray for those who have not heard the truth, whether they be around the street corner or around the world, I pray for them to hear the truth, not only from us, but God, place people in their lives, place other believers whether they have the title Baptist or not, place gospel-believing Christians in the lives of others who do not yet know truth. And may they hear Your Word. The Bible tells us, Your Word tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So God, how could, how could they respond without hearing? So Lord, please place people. If it's us, Place us in the direct obstacle of people as those not holding a fix for anybody's life, but holding out the remedy of your grace and truth. And God, prepare us as a church to be willing to do that. And prepare the heart and the ear of the hearer to be willing to receive that. And God, may there be an awakening in our land, in our time, in this generation, because... There were those that were willing to pray and seek Your will. They were willing to submit to You to know Your truth and spread it as far as the eye can see. Jesus, do something only You can do in this moment. Because if it's man-sized or man-motivated, it's going to fail. But Lord, by Your grace, You will accomplish all that You desire to accomplish. And I pray in the midst of that you would save multitudes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. The band's going to come up and we're going to play a song and talk about how God never lets go. His grace, it upholds us. And the fact is that's just that's the truth of who He is. That even whenever He created mankind and, and and their sin and our sin separated us from Him. God never let go. Yes, we were separated from God, but we were never abandoned by God. And the willingness and the lengths that He went to, because we could not pay the debt that we owe by ourselves, He went and paid that price 2,000 years ago on the cross by sending Jesus. And He paid it and said it is finished. And the Bible makes clear to all that received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God. In other words, He gave them the right to call God Father. And He would save. And so today, if you have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sin and save you and to become a child of God, I, I would implore you, I, I, I encourage you to come. I would love to share with you more about that next step of faith and trusting and walking in the hope of Jesus and knowing a God that never lets go. And has made it this moment, provide this day for you to hear that message. If you feel like that's 
God is leading you to make a step, maybe through our prayer time, maybe through our time in the Word, or through even the music, and, and you're just trying to figure out the next step as a disciple, I would love to help you walk through that and lead you towards prayer and whatever steps it can take to, to be more focused as a disciple. But this time is for you to respond. It's the part of worship where we say, God, either I'm all in or I'm not. I pray that you're all in. And however God leads you, you respond to that.